Well, praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> Man, it don't get any better than that. Unless he happens to come right now. If you're not ready, you better get ready. If we're all praying in here, he'll come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Turn, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the book of Joshua. What a, an amazing service thus far today. Let me, I, I was just told a while ago that Lena Cooper is having a brain biopsy on Thursday. Remember Ms. Lena, okay? She's had a little problem and spell, and nobody can figure out what it is, and so uh, they're going that direction. You remember to pray for Gerald and Lena. We, we've been in Joshua now, I don't know, a good while. <laughs> if I didn't preach through the Bible, this would be one of those texts that I would just skip over. I really would just pass it and just say, hey, we, we probably don't need to even look at this. Uh, Canaan, as we have been referencing all along, is a picture, picture of victorious Christian living. It's a, it's a playbook. It's a, it's, a, it's a sober reminder for those who are singing victory in Jesus and living in defeat. It's easy to sing victory in Jesus and then walk out of here with the same problem we had when we came in. Any movie that would deal with Joshua 10 uh, would be rated R. I mean, it's a, it's a horror story. It's full of bloodshed, carnage. We would look for people like Sylvester Stallone or Chuck Norris or Rambo to be in this thing and but it's Joshua. I just want to read, just a, it, you, you don't have to stand, just read in, in, jo, in Joshua 10, beginning in verse 16, and just we'll stop there shortly. These five kings fled, hid themselves in a cave at Makeda, and it was told Joshua the five kings are found in a cave at Makeda. Joshua said, roll great stones upon the mouth of the cave, set men by it for, to keep them, and stay ye not, but pursue after your enemies. Smite the hindmost of them, suffer them not to enter into their cities, for the Lord your God hath delivered them into your hand. This may be like anything, nothing you've ever seen before, but it, it's in the Word of God. And Joshua is reminding us, I think, for the soft-spoken people. We've got a lot of folk today, and boy, I guess I'm one of them. I'd much rather be preaching to you the positive attitude, the prayer. I'd much rather be preaching to you uh, how 10 ways how you can live in victory and walk out of here and feel good about yourself and all that. But this is a reminder of us this morning that walking in victory is not a cakewalk. We've got to pick up our swords. We've got to get in the battle. And that's what Joshua is being reminded of. In old churches, we used to, and we still do here, sing, stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. And all of these many churches today, uh, we, we want to kind of slow that down. We don't want to talk about the blood. We don't want to talk about sin. We don't want to talk about repentance. But I want to tell you, marching in victory takes no prisoners. As we look here, uh, let me just give you three things and we'll try to get out of here and I'll try to get as few emails this week as possible. <laughs> we see, first of all, there's, 
there's just a plain account. I mean, I, I looked at commentary after commentary after commentary. Many of them sweep it under the rug and say it's just not worth even thinking about. But it's in the Word of God. It reminds me when I read this 10th chapter of Joshua of when I read in history about a, a general named Sherman in the Civil War. And he came down through the South. And it wasn't that he was just necessarily a Union uh, general and a, and a soldier trying to defeat the Confederate Army. But everywhere General Sherman went, he, he burned things down to the ground. He killed cows and, and oxen and, and literally just disrupted everything he could possibly do. And that's exactly what the Israelites are fixing to do to the Hittites and the Jebusites and all the other ites here. We need to be grateful, and we are grateful uh, that, that, that Jesus loves us. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Praise the Lord for that. But I'll tell you, we better be grateful God's not against pouring his wrath out on sin. Because he will do that. Our, our, our aim in, when we try to teach the Bible is we got to deal with all of it. And even though I'd like to pass over this, I'm not going to. It's gruesome. It's gruesome. Uh, it's undeniable. It tells about wholesale genocide of the Amorite Canaanites. They destroyed not only the men, they destroyed not only the men and the women, they destroyed the men, the women, the children, and everything there was. They destroyed it. The kings most likely were beheaded. They hanged, uh, uh, not as we think about hanging from a rope of our neck, but they hung on a tree. Our scripture this month, cursed is a man who hangs on a tree. They literally would nail him to a tree or tie him to a tree with ropes and all. And uh, uh, they were attached to a tree. Jericho and Ai, they, they'd made it clear there in those armies that they were the armies of the God and they were the, using the word of God and they were doing it for the glory of God. And it didn't make any difference if it was a man or woman, if it was slave or free, or if it was young or old. I was thinking about how to wrap my brain around this last night. I, I thought about some of the times growing up that my parents embarrassed me. Have you ever been there? I mean, your mama had them big old round curlers, and she drove us to school. And we'd say, Mama, drop us off two or three blocks before the school we're supposed to run and get some exercise before we go into school. Huh? Or maybe, maybe you had one of those daddies like mine that wore his pants up to his armpits there. Huh? We'd say, Daddy, just get a couple of straps, man, and have it done. Maybe you lived like I did in an old house where there were cracks in the floor and nights like this. I can't believe it's... April 22nd, cold outside. But that wind would come up through the cracks of that floor and we'd see the chickens down there under the house down there. We'd be laying in blankets. Now, uh, well, not blankets. We laid in over, under quilts. They were about two inches thick and weighed about 20 pounds each and nobody moved all night long. <laughs> I still believe that's why a lot of kids wet the bed when they were growing up like that. They couldn't get out of bed. And do, let me just filter off here just a minute. Do you know now that they, according to my daughter-in-law, 
they make these things heavy weights to put over kids to help them in bed. And I told her, I said, just get one of my grandmother's old quilts. You won't have to make anything or pay anything special. Them old quilts, you didn't move when they got down there. But then, as you grow up and mature, you realize probably the reason she had those curlers in her hair is because she had made breakfast for us and was running around trying to get ready and get us to school on time and then her get to work on time. You realize that the clothes your daddy wore were because maybe he was trying to keep all of us in clothes, trying to make sure we had good clothes to wear. Mm. He drove an old car and lived in a, the best house he could because he was trying to feed us. I, I, I've told this before, but I, 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 did, I thought my mother hated pork chops until I was probably 14 or 15 years old because she never would eat one. I discovered pork chops came in packages of four, and there were four of us, daddy and three boys, and she would say, y'all eat them, I, I don't want one. Boy, when you begin to grow and mature, suddenly you find out that you're not near as ashamed. And I think that's kind of the way it is with God. When people want to pop off and say, I can't believe God would murder somebody like that. I think they're just getting in on salvation. They've not grown up. They've not matured. They've not understood the mighty God we serve. Now I want to tell you, reach visitation is tonight. And when you get your card and you go make that visit, Joshua 10 is not the chapter to start in on with that family. <laughs> Don't do that. It was gruesome. But as we grow and mature, we understand what our Father has done. Not only was it gruesome, but it was sovereignly graceful. It, it didn't have to be that way. You go back to Genesis 3, and, 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 and there's a tree that says, God, God says, you eat anything you want to in this garden, but that one tree you do not eat. If you eat of that tree, you will die. But Eve ate of it, Adam ate of it, and they literally spiritually died. But here's the good thing. This will make a backslidden Baptist want to shout. God came looking for them. Aren't you glad when you sin, God comes looking for you? Adam, where art thou? I'm hiding, God, I've sinned. God comes looking for us. And he tells us if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you grateful? God comes looking for us. He promised a Redeemer was coming for a chosen people living in a chosen place. And God's redeeming mankind involved using a chosen people with a chosen place. Genesis 15, he promises to Abraham to give him the land and all that anywhere his feet have trod. But he says, Abraham, you're, you're not necessarily going to get that. It may be years to come. And then Moses after him, and now it's Joshua, and they're going in the land. Centuries have passed between the book of Genesis and the book of Joshua here. The Amorites had more than enough time to repent. They chose not to. 
The people who are being destroyed here in Joshua chapter 10, they saw the miracles that God performed. They heard about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They knew about the plagues in Egypt. They knew about the crossing of the Red Sea. They knew about the crossing of the Jordan River. They saw the destruction of Jericho. They knew about a harlot named Rahab. They knew about the destruction of Ai, but they would not repent. Proverbs 21 1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water. He turneth it whithersoever he will. These people we're looking at here in Joshua 10 were horrible people, terrible people. Canaanites, Amorites, they were, they were not innocent. The gods that they served were horrible and, and, and wicked gods. They constructed a god just like we do today. They constructed a God that would be pleasing to them and would accept the way they're living. And that's what we've convinced ourselves that our God does. We can live any way we want to live. Just go ahead and let's be honest this morning. We have this idea that, hey, I may be bad, but boy, I'm not near as bad as some of the other people I know. Well, that doesn't have anything to do with it. It was a sad day in America. September the 11th, sad day. But uh, as I study about that history and it looked at some of the things, the doctors, all of the hospitals in New York, New Jersey, e even as far as Boston and all, they were all preparing themselves for the onslaught of the people that were going to come to the hospital. But they never came. They never came. You see, there were two kinds of people in those towers that day. Those who ran and tried to get away and save their life. And those who died in those towers. That's it. And here, when we look at Joshua 10, there, there's... There's a handful of survivors, and there's no prisoners taken with, without exception. There's no prisoners. God said, don't take no prisoners. So that's just the account of what's going on. Now, let me just try to apply it, uh, if I can. Uh, I remember Dr. Jim Henry telling this story. He's pastor at First Baptist Church Orlando. Uh, he's retired now, but he's still in that church. He said he walked up to three men, and they were talking, and he said, one man said, I feel like my life is just... Lose, 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 win, lose, 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 win. And the second guy said, well, I, I think I'm a little bit better off than you. I feel like my life is, is win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, victory, lose, victory, lose. And the third guy said, well, I'm a little bit better off than y'all, I think, because my life is kind of like victory, 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 and then lose. And then victory, 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 and then lose. Now, if you've got a marble, two marbles that rub together in your head, you'll understand you'd rather be like that third man than that first man. Every one of us would rather be more victorious than we would losing. So how do you do that? How do you stay victorious? The victorious life is a steadfast life. These guys had marched all night long. They'd been up all day, marched all night, 20 miles, and uh, they had gotten there. I can't believe that Joshua didn't have a little grace and mercy on him and say, look, guys, why don't we have some ham and eggs and y'all lay down and take about a four-hour nap before we get started here today. 
He doesn't do that. They go right on into the next day, into the battle. You say, well, you know, nightfall's coming. No, no, no. This is where Joshua prayed and said, God, I believe we can take them if you'll give us some more time. And God extended the day for another 23 hours and 40 minutes. These guys are steadfast. Listen, after Joshua said in verse 19, there is no time to quit. This is no time to quit. I don't know about you, but man, I tell you, there are days when I get weary. Most, most preachers think Monday morning is the time they all resign Monday morning and all that. I don't. I sleep in on Monday morning. I try to sleep as long as I can where I don't have to get up. Man, the victorious life is a steadfast life. I was talking with a pastor <clears throat> a few weeks ago who had failed spiritually, and he was a good friend of mine. And, and uh, man, I said, man, how, how in the world did it, how did, how did this happen? We, we, we've talked about this. We know this. How, how did you, he said this, I let down my guard. I let down my guard. I want to tell you something, folks. The devil is always working, watching, and waiting. I could use any number of families right here. Brother Case, Brittany, got a little new baby and two wonderful kids. Let me tell you something, and I'm just using them as a reference. If the devil can't destroy their family this year, he'll wait 10 years. He'll wait 20 years for the right time to try to destroy a family. He'll do that. You say, preacher, what are you talking about? I'll, I'll tell you, shoot straight with you. Just because you've been married 40 years doesn't mean you're going to be married next year. Just because you've been walking with the Lord and, and your quiet time and praying and fellowshipping with God for the last 30 years doesn't mean you'll be doing that next year. Because the devil is always looking to destroy. Always. You know, a job's not finished till it's finished. I know your kids are different than mine. They surely, surely they were. I would tell Jason, Jeremy, you didn't have to tell, but I would tell Jason, Jason, go clean your room up. You ever had to tell your kid that? I'd see him out in the yard 30 minutes later, and I'd say, Jason, did you clean your room up? Dad, I, I worked on that room 30 minutes. That's not the question, Jason. The question is, did you finish the job? That's what the question is. Did, did you pick up all the pine straw and leaves your mama had raked up? Daddy, we hauled eight wheelbarrows down there. That's not the question. The question is, did you finish the job? And the question this morning is not how you holding on, but are you going to finish the job that God's called you to do? The job's not over until the job's finished. Only man I can find saying anything about this at all in the Bible is a guy named Paul. He said, I fought a good fight. I finished the course. But he said it when he was about to die. When you get on your deathbed and you can't do anything else, you can say, I think the job's almost finished. But until then, you keep plowing on. You be steadfast. A victorious Christian is a steadfast life. We'll tell you also, a victorious Christian life is a separated life. Why would God drive out 
and have Joshua destroy all of these foreign, wicked, pagan people. <laughs> it's one simple principle. If you stay too close to people who don't know God, people who are not walking with God, you think you're going to pull them up. But I want to tell you, long before you're able to pull them up, they're going to pull you down. And you're going to find yourself. God says they're going to pull you down. And he says there'll be a prick in your eye and a thorn in your side as long as you shall live. They don't realize it now, but it's going to happen. That's why God says in the New Testament, come out from among them and be ye separate, he said. Touch not the unclean thing in, in 2 Corinthians 6. Now, <clears throat> I want to make this statement, but I want you to understand when I make this statement, I'm not talking about losing a loved one in death. I'm not talking about losing a spouse. But let me just make this statement and then understand it. When God takes something or someone away from your life, it's always a blessing. Now, I'm not talking about relatives, close friends, and all that. I'm just saying you're hooked up with this old girl and boy, she is the light of the world and suddenly she dro drops on you and goes somewhere else. Son, you don't know it, but you just got blessed. You might not know it for another 30 years, but you just got blessed. Same thing happens. When God takes something away from you, you end up getting blessed for it. May hurt like the Dickens today. But it's nothing compared to the pain that you would have gone through. You never have a victorious Christian life thinking like the world, acting like the world, walking like the world, or living like the world. It's a steadfast life. It's a separated life. God's prohibition against the Israelites marrying the Amorites and Jebusites and Canaanites. Let me just put this in here just so you'll understand where I'm coming from. It was not, listen to me, it was not a racial thing. Had nothing to do with what color their skin was. There's a couple of East Texas rednecks that believe that's why you can't interracially marry. That has nothing to do with what he's talking about here. It was not a racial thing, it was a religious thing. What God is saying is they don't know your God. And I caution you young people, Today, I'm not telling you what you can do and what you can't do. You, you go on, but I'm just telling you this. When you line up yourself with someone that doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords, and you're saved by the blood of the Lamb, and you believe the Bible's the inerrant Word of God, and you line yourself up with someone that doesn't believe that Jesus we're talking about, you're headed for trouble. Your kids are headed for trouble. Your whole future is headed for trouble. Yes, but he's so good looking. He'll get old. She'll get old. Where she's got that tattoo now, that rose, it won't look like a rose in 40 years. You don't marry folk based on their looks. Man, the number one thing about uniting together in a, in a marriage for eternity is that you both agree that Jesus is Jesus. We're talking about the one who died on the cross, who died for our sins. Let me give you the last thing I'm through. 
there's a prophetic aspect here. You see, they, 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 they go back and, and they say, hey, those kings, we've got them locked in a cave over there. You said roll the stone. The armies have been defeated and everything. Let's go back down there and get those kings. So Joshua says, unroll the thing. They get the kings out there. And uh, they said, but lay them down here. And then they asked for the princes to come over and put their foot over their neck. You can read about it in Joshua 10. Put their foot over their neck. And the narrator here is explaining about these kings are fixing to shed their blood. But there's another king that's coming. And he's going to shed his blood also for a chosen people at a chosen place. Now the king who's going to be coming is totally different from this king, these five kings we're talking about here in Joshua 10. The king who would be coming uh, is, is nothing like these. These kings were wicked. This king that's going to come is pure. He's blameless. He's undefiled. He's separated from sinners. He's exalted above the heaven. These five kings fought to save themselves. The king that's coming going to lay down his life for others. These five kings were nailed to a tree. They were killed. And then they were put in a tomb or a cave. And their cold, dead bodies are still in that tomb in that cave. But this king is coming. He's going to be crucified and killed. He's going to be put in a tomb. But on the third day, he's going to arise. And he's still going to be alive today. <laughs> That's the kind of king we're talking about. As, as I just finish up, notice with me the word of God that was sent. God is showing them. God's speaking to them. God's giving them opportunity to repent. If you just go back with me, if you've got Joshua 10 open there, if you go back to Joshua chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, And it came to pass when all the kings which were on this side of the Jordan and the hills and the valleys, all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite, heard thereof. They gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. See, they know. They know this God who's coming has wiped out Egypt and the army. They know he's crossed the Red Sea. They know he's parted the Jordan River. They know he's destroyed uh, uh, Jericho. They know he's destroyed Ai. And they get together not to repent, but say, let's fight him. They had an opportunity to repent. Then look back at, at chapter 5, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. It came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in any of them because of the children of Israel. At that time the Lord said unto Joshua, Make these sharp knives, circumcising all that. They're admitting here, Hey, we know enough that we need to turn to God. There's no other hope except we turn to God. Then in Joshua chapter 2, verse 8, we keep going backwards there. 
And before they were laid down, she came up on them on the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. That's Rahab's testimony. She knows the same thing that all of these other kings have known. What's the difference? <laughs> She said, I repent. I, I, I want to serve your God. I know he's king of kings and lord of lords. Would you have mercy on me today? The, the richness of God's mercy. He'd sent his word time and time and time and time again, but they would not repent. There's some of y'all, I'll get an email this week, and it'll say something like this. What about the natives in Africa? What about those who've never heard a gospel sermon? Well, if you read the book of Romans, technically their conscience should be enough for them, and they're going to help be held under judgment too. But I want to just give you a little hint this morning. I don't, I don't want to be ugly, but I'm not worried about the natives in Africa. What I'm worried about is looking at a congregation of people who have heard time and time and time and time again but refuse to say yes to Jesus. That's who I'm worried about here this morning. Because every time you say no, your heart grows a little harder and it gets a little more away from God. The Bible says being continuing reproved hardeneth their heart. Then, then let me just point out to you the wrath of God that was seen. If there's not room in your theology for wrath, you better check your theology. According to Revelation 14, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Wow, the wrath of God poured out in full strength. Listen, on that day, there is no mercy. On that day, there is no compassion. The mercy and compassion is here today. But on that day, there's none. L listen to Revelation 19, 15. Out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. It's going to be like September the 11th. There are going to be two kinds of people. When the wrath is poured out that day, there's going to be subjects of his grace. Those who have said, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. I've tried everything this world has to offer. I've made New Year's resolutions. I've been to courses. I've been to uh, 12 steps. I've done all of this stuff I, I've, I've, over and over again. I can't save myself. I come now, Lord Jesus, and surrender my life to you. Please save me. 
There's going to be subjects of his grace, and there are going to be objects of his wrath. And that's the only two groups that's going to be left. And my question, simple question, are you a subject of his grace? Have you experienced the saving grace of personal relationship with God? We, uh, we helped Sean Waltz. Many of you know Sean, Kelly and Jim's son. He is, uh, well, he's in Dubai right now. I got a note from him this morning, uh, getting ready to get on a plane to go to India. He's going to be teaching English and working in churches there for three months. And you know Sean, he, he's got polio and he barely can get around, but you can't tell him he can't do anything because he'll do anything. But anyway, uh, he sent me part of the letter. He's going to be teaching English in a Hindu school. And he, he said, I, he, he sent me the letter that he sent to the Hindu person and said, I cannot teach without talking about my God. And, and the letter he sent back, and there was more into it, but the guy sent a letter back and said, you, you almost sound like you have a personal relationship with your God. <laughs> well, glory. That's the way it's supposed to be, folks. We ought to have a personal relationship. So the question this morning is, are you going to be a subject of his grace? On that day, or are you going to be an object of his wrath? Chosen people, chosen place. The decision's got to be made here. Lord, you know our hearts today. Oh, God, if we could do something to just be saved for these that need to be saved. But there's nothing we can do except preach the word, give the scripture, and pray that the Holy Spirit will intervene and touch hearts and lives. I pray this morning there be people in this place that would say, Lord, I've tried it all. Now I'm willing to come to Jesus. I want to come just as I am. Nothing else takes the place. Lord, there are others in this place that need a church home. Time is fleeting. The end is nearing. We see it on every hand. It's getting closer and closer until the time that you come again for us. Lord, if it's your will that people join this church and work in this church and carry forth the ministry of this church, then God, you, you let it happen. It's you. There are others that just need to come and pray. Say, my goodness, I've uh, kind of hardened my heart. I've gotten away from where I need to be with Jesus. And I want to come back. Would you have your way, Lord Jesus, in every life that's in this room today? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you